Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Welcome back to Sanctimonious. This week we'll be doing part two of our skill testing cards discussion. So I believe we have Mars, <laughs> Sanctum, Shadows, and Untamed left. Got there. So that'll be a lot of fun. And before that, I should probably introduce you to my loyal co-host, Dan. How's it going? Hey, hey, hey. It's a Friday. Y'all are hearing this either on a Monday or a Tuesday. The league, the Adaptive League has started. Life is so good. It is really good time to be playing Keyforge and whether you've been in this game since the beginning or just getting into it I think there's no better time than right now indeed but yeah really quick on the adaptive league I want to do a quick announcement on that so we've got 37 US players signed up at this moment we have 11 EU players so I do my best to see if we can't round those out into uh Nice even five integers. So I'll be putting out the bat signal this weekend. So hopefully some of you heard it and answered the call to get us a nice round number for our groupings. Um, the league's going to go for one month. You're going to play four games, four adaptive matches. And um, we're not really going to do any like prizing. We're not requiring any entry fee. But we will probably do some door prizes for everybody that uh, finishes their matches. You'll be entered into some drawings for maybe a t-shirt or couple of our play mats something like that we'll do a little something and we're going to reward finishing all of your adaptive matches so that way everybody gets an equal amount of games in and we all get to uh learn the awesome adaptive format yes and we just moments before we started recording this podcast we decided that the grand champion your prize will be a special shout out on this podcast and the opportunity to come on and impart some knowledge on the rest of us about what it takes to be successful and adaptive at uh, what I expect to be a very high level with some of the names we have entered in this competition. Definitely. So it's going to run, you're going to run one, um, one set of grouping, top two people at each group will go into a single elimination adaptive final tournament. And then once that's completed, we will shuffle it back. Anybody that can re-sign up again. And then in the second season, I will try to match people into groups with similar records. So that way we have different people coming through. So we'll put all the four rows together so they can knock a few of them out. And then we just see different people in the single single one. Should be fun. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So before we get into our main topic, why don't we jump into our weekly inspiration? So I think it's my week to begin. Inspire us. Yeah, so I'm feeling very inspired right now because last night I went to a brand new gaming store, uh, or new to me, I should say, called Yeti Gaming here in St. Louis, and it was awesome. It was their first event. They did a $5 entry, and for each player, threw a deck into the pool, into the prize pool, so really good prize support, and they were uh, rewarded with 16 people out to support them, which is pretty good turnout for this community. Uh, across the metropolitan area, there was another shop that had a chain-bound event that night, and I heard they had six people out there. So, you know, on a weeknight, 22 people out 
about playing organized Keyforge events is, I think, a really great sign. Uh, there was recently a post on Reddit asking people what the Keyforge scene is like in their community. And I was a little bit disheartened to see that quite a few people reporting that, you know, the game has lackluster turnout, no events at all in their community. And so I feel both fortunate that there is a great community where I am located. But I also think that the reason that it exists is because there have been people who really took it upon their mantle to champion this game. Uh, We have a local player, Duncan is his name, and he is out at every event with his laptop. He's got decks, he's teaching people how to play, he hosts casual events, competitive events, uh, and, and has really done so much to build up this community. So that's my inspiration. I think the vast majority of card games or board games, if they didn't have legs would have already died out by now Uh, but Keyforge here is growing and I really believe if you're passionate about it and you want to grow this community there's a lot you could do you could start a podcast you could write articles you could reach out to friends uh, give them a deck and and just start playing it's that easy Uh, and you really can do it with just a little bit of energy and passion so I'm feeling inspired and I hope you are as well all right my inspiration this week as it is most every week, is our Discord is amazing. Um, <laughs> we, like, <laughs> we, had a, we had a mob party the other night in a tabletop simulator where I was playing against Dr. Sheep, and I think we had Evil and Torontos both in the game observing and in the voice chat, just kind of, you know, just four dudes hanging out playing some Keyforge. It was pretty sweet. Lady Caffina was uh, checking in on us, trying to get her mic set up, and uh, yeah, like it's just amazing. We Our TTS scene is alive and well in our discord it's pretty easy to find a tts game pretty much pretty much all day long it seems like there's games firing out of our discord so that's been really nice really gotten to uh spend a lot of time playing aoa thanks to all of the fine discordians you know being available to play on tabletop simulators so if you're looking for tabletop simulator games and you're not a part of our discord yet get in there awesome yeah I'm, I'm I'm personally slacking. I still haven't <laughs> set up my TTS. I, know. I wonder if you even play Keyforge. Like you say you play Keyforge, but I don't know. Sorry, man. I'm busy getting out to all these live events. <laughs> Dead life. Yeah. No, I, I really do want to, but it's it's been a little a little busy and uh, trying to be productive. And you know, no excuses. I'm gonna do it and soon. Perfect. All right. Main topic: skill testing cards. Pot do. So let's start with the Mars house. Awesome. Mars house. Mars, Mars, Mars. Our new green overlords. A new fave of mine. The first one I've got listed is Battlefleet. Battlefleet is an action card. Comes with an amber pip. It is play, reveal any number of Mars cards from your hand. For each card revealed this way, draw one card. So again, a card that doesn't seem super skill testing, but you really kind of have to sculpt this card. You have to sculpt your hand to make this card good. I mean, it's a... It's an instant library access, but you're not going to keep chaining it together unless you have multiple battle fleets in a deck, which is fun and exists out there. But you really need to make sure that you've sculpted your hand. You either have archiving in the deck to, you know, really build up that Mars hand so that you get the full effect out of the battle fleet. Yeah, I don't think we talked much about uh, the skill testing nature of just drawing cards in general in Keyforge because you're always refilling your hand at the end of your turn. So the only way to get value out of drawing cards is to hit something 
in the active house in, in general. I mean, there are extraneous circumstances for sure. So Battlefleet's one of those cards where, you know, you might have a hand where you have three Mars cards and you know that maybe it's early in the game and it's you don't have a good sense uh, that Mars is likely to be in the top of your deck or, you know, you have more Mars, a higher distribution of Mars and other houses in your deck. So it's, it's a tough call. Do you uh, want to try and save up for a less efficient turn now to have a better chance at actually drawing into cards with the battle fleet or not. Uh, so yeah, so on one hand, card drawing seems a little lackluster, but being able to reach into that deck and pull a card or two before you should be drawing into it naturally then is just such a huge advantage to you in setting up turns later in the game. So yeah, I just think like balancing that uh, makes this one a big challenge. Yep, always good when you can make your other two houses more prevalent in the deck by eliminating one house early. All right, next we have up Deep Probe. Deep Probe is another action card. As a lot of our skill testing cards seem to be action cards, I'm kind of noticing. Well, it's interesting. Can we, can we stop actually on that just for one second? Sure. Because I agree, uh, in listening to the last episode, we do have a lot of actions, which I think creatures for what it's worth, are, are just like generally, if you have a very basic action and a very basic creature, the creature is going to be the more skill testing card because it affords you so many more options, right? If it has a reap, a, you know, because it can always fight a reap where an action is always just going to do one thing. And then some creatures have actions as well. So I don't know. For me, I actually think creature heavy decks are a lot of times more challenging to play than action heavy decks. Yeah, that's because a lot of times, unless they have a play effect, their effect is um, it's delayed. You have to have it sit on the board for a turn and then still have the necessary parts to call that house again to actually use that creature the next turn. So now, yeah, yeah, creatures are skill testing in that way. And there's a lot more skill testing like board states, I think, nowadays with AOA with so many creatures having different effects, such as resonators and all those good guys that you need to get rid of as fast as possible if you're sitting across the board from them. Sure. So I think it's right that it doesn't make sense that we have a lot of creatures in this list just because, I mean, all creatures with fight effects sort of operate the same way but i do think it is important to note that this list does skew more towards actions i think just because they're a little bit more diverse in their effect and interesting to talk about but that isn't to say that like you know creatures in general are easy yeah by any means well and their effect fires right away so i mean it's trying to get the most out of said effect is the skill testing part but yeah so deep probe comes with an amber pip on it um play choose a house reveal your opponent's hand discard each creature of that house revealed this way so again, great card. You get to see what's in your opponent's hand so it can help you kind of decide what to do that turn and the following turn because you kind of have an idea of like when they play their next turn, you'll still kind of know some of the cards in their hand so you know what you can play around. Um, the skill testing part that really makes this better for those more skilled players or the more practiced with this card is you really get a sense of, um, again, you have to track your opponent's deck. You have to track track like which house of theirs has the most creatures or which house has the tech creatures you really would rather just have them discard than actually see the table are you going up against a coda untamed deck could they have two hunting witches do you call untamed when you deep probe them to throw those hunting witches away if they haven't played any of of them yet it's stuff like that that really kind of pushes your knowledge of the game and of your opponent's deck list and just kind of tracking where they're at in their deck Yes. Yeah, it seems to have all the difficult skill testing parts of something like Control the Week, where you need to know uh, with good, you know, you want to use 
all evidence available to predict what's in their hand with the additional challenge of actually revealing their hands. So you get to see it and then to be able to effectively play around those cards that are not discarded, uh, I think is another way that you can really separate yourself as a more skilled player from uh, somebody who's less experienced with the game. All right. Next skill tester I have listed is Psychic Network. Psychic Network, another action, not a shocker. Play, steal one amber for each friendly ready Mars creature. So the reason I think I have this one, so this one almost gets into Jake's point that creatures are skill testing. Well, this one's asking a lot because you need to have Mars creatures played. Probably you're playing them like the turn before. Like Hopefully you're drawing into this with a big Mars board, but if you don't draw into this with a big Mars board, then you're left with a decision. Is this psychic network something worth chaining yourself over in order to get the steal? Because if you can play like three creatures in a turn and then steal three the next turn with this, if they manage to survive, I mean, that's a big swing. I mean, that's a swindle without the alpha and omega. So yeah, it's just kind of setting it up and then knowing when to just, you know, pitch it and just say, you know what, I'm probably not likely to have more than one Mars creature left and holding this for one Mars creature is not going to be an effective use of my time next turn to call this for one Mars creature or to even hold this card for a few more turns hoping for a better better payoff. Even if you play three Mars creatures, you're faced with a really difficult challenge if you also have psychic network in your hand of knowing if your opponent is likely to deal with that board. Uh, I've actually played a deck with this card a lot, and, and that's a question that is often posed, and it can really be a nightmare. I mean, it only even if you have three creatures on the board and they have none, it just takes a gateway to dis, and now you're chaining yourself with a house with a card in a house that you don't want to call. So you're really going to have a hell of a time, you know, getting that psychic network out of your hand now. If, if, because now you have no board, there's no reason to call Mars unless you just happen to draw into a bunch of Mars again. So even, you know, I think just even in the best situation, holding this card is often wrong. Uh, so I think I think it can be a bit of a trap for new players as well. So that's something to be aware of with this one. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right. Hey, we've got a creature, Jake. I know you're going to be really what? excited here. We have... It must be really good at fighting, right? That would be interesting. <laughs> we have Ether Spider, a seven-powered Mars beast. Ether Spider deals no damage when fighting. Each amber that would be added to your opponent's pool is captured by Ether Spider instead. Take this one, Jake. Why is this skill testing? I think this one actually gets a little bit less skill testing after the errata of Bait and Switch. Prior to errata, if somebody played Bait and Switch, it would literally just put all of their amber onto their own Ether Spider for you to then capture. So that interaction in and of itself made this card a bit high risk, which I think a little bit of that has diminished uh, with the errata where that could only happen twice. But even still, a lot of times having uh, an opponent with amber captured on it, if your deck is good at removing it, is one of the safest places for amber to be. Uh, there's not very many effects in the game where your opponent can disrupt that. So I think it's one of those cards that maybe doesn't inherently look like it has a drawback, but the drawback is quite considerable and something you definitely need to be aware of. So I don't know. That's that's why I think it's skill testing to me. Do you have other thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the old adage was not to play Aether Spider till your opponent was on four or five so that you could kind of prevent those big bait and switch turns. 
they're at four and five and then you're capturing all their amber they're still not getting the advantage of being behind on amber typically if you do it when they're at zero then you're keeping them at zero and yeah all their amber safe but at four or five you can still use your other houses to capture their other amber other places or steal it or whatever other effects you have so typically it's a little bit better played if they have four to five amber so you're just keeping them off a key but you're still allowing yourself to not kill all the cards in your hand all your steel cards and different capture cards so just knowing when to play ether spider and then also kind of how to set up your board to protect ether spider since ether spider doesn't deal any damage he's kind of like a big shadow self and that it might take your opponent a couple creatures to knock him off but it really like they're doing it at no risk to themselves and at that point the fight is actually better than reaping probably for them i mean depending on how much amber sitting on ether spider at the moment but they're probably going to throw two creatures into it and if they get three amber back out of fighting with two of their creatures with no drawbacks then it's a bit rough i mean i suppose there's still the opportunity cost of fighting instead of reaping so you know that is a drawback yep all right the last one that we have listed was kind of surprised i was kind of surprised mars creature like a lot of it's Mars creatures and setting up Mars creature boards to do like complex things in Mars. But as far as like the creatures and the actions themselves are all pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely like tricky things you can do with John Smith or whatever. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but it's hard to really go into why is John Smith a skill testing card? Like, well, which creature do I ready this time? <laughs> yeah, and I think that goes a lot into why there are le- not as many creatures on this list as might be more authentic to truly more skill testing cards is because... A lot of creatures are very complex in complex board states, but it's hard to set that up. Yeah, unique deck game and everybody's deck being different. You never hardly see the same kind of board set up twice. Even playing the same deck over and over again, a lot of times you don't see the same board set up. Like great things about this game. All right, so the last one, probably my favorite card in all of... Um, yeah, and all of Keyforge. All of the Crucible. All of the Crucible. This is my card. Like, I'm taking this guy into battle with me every chance I get. It's Martian Generosity. He's just so God, generous. He's so generous. He's so he's generous. A guy. Comes with an Amber Pip. Uh, play. Lose all of your Amber. Draw two cards for each Amber lost. So this card with Key Abduction, not that skill testing. <laughs> when you're just turning all of your Amber into cards in the hand, and you have your Key Abduction, and you're just getting a free key anyways, not that skill testing. But if you have a deck with Martian Generosity and no key abduction, all of a sudden you're looking at a quandary, whether like how to play this. And I've been trying to get my hands on a deck that has Martian Generosity without key abduction. But I haven't been trying super hard, so I haven't quite accomplished it yet. But uh, yeah, like that in that scenario, you don't, I mean, you're just, you're not getting a key and you're probably putting yourself off of a key, but maybe you're putting yourself off a key for that turn in order to have such a ridiculous next couple turns by holding the other two houses all in your hand i'm not sure if it's worth it yet but i think it's super skill testing to determine like if you're at three amber do you play martian generosity knowing that you're not going to hit a key abduction but you're going to draw eight cards yes you do and (laughs) i've actually come full circle on this i i had martian generosity in my vault tour deck having never played with it before so i i was feeling very much like you said like this is a real challenge to play I'm not sure what is a good amount of amber. Do I want to take myself off a key? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sort of now on the page that this card is just like pretty ridiculous in almost any circumstances. So busted. Like, like playing it for like playing it for one, like on zero amber, drawing two cards. That's very good. 
but not the ideal situation. But anytime you're drawing, like an amber is always worth two cards in virtually any circumstance, except for like, I don't know, taking you off check on the last turn of the game, like barring obvious stuff. Right. But if you're on three amber and you draw eight cards, you're likely to just craft such a big advantage out of that, that, that very same turn that it's like almost always worth it. Like that is like in in my whole experience playing that deck in the Vault Tour and afterwards, like playing Martian Generosity above three Amber or three Amber or above has always felt fantastic. And playing it below that has always just felt good. So I, I think this I think it might be a little bit less skill testing than it comes off initially, just because the effect is so absurdly powerful. Yeah, I mean, you still like, God, it's I mean, it's lands without fizzling. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get when you play it. Like, you don't have to keep chaining into Logos cards. You just know I have this much Amber. I'm drawing this this many cards. And yeah, I had a I had a game yesterday where I did have um, key abduction in the deck, but I drew 16 cards. And on the follow-up turn to my Mars turn, I played Brobnar and generated 15 Amber with Brobnar. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah, and I cleared a board. Like, it was fighting. It was Legacy Warsong, fighting dudes, Dremernaut, Ginger Chieftain combo. I mean, it was all the disgusting things with the war chest out and ready. And, I mean, the 16-card draw the turn before definitely set it up. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of one of the things, I think, like with lands where... People sort of realized eventually that winning on that same turn doesn't really matter as much because when you have your whole deck in your hand, it's pretty hard to lose anyway. And I think that Martian Generosity just turns a lot of decks into that. Um, so yeah, for sure. crazy card. It's not so. Keep your eye on the lookout for yeah, right? good Martian Generosity decks. Yeah, buy mine. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, so that, that wraps up Mars. Like I said, it was kind of interesting to looking at our list, but I did pair stuff down, so there might have been more before when we were thinking we were going to try to do it in one episode and split into two. But yeah, let's move on to the greatest house in all of Keyforge. All hail Sanctum. Sanctum. Bum, bum, bum. Trumpets. <laughs> all right. So Sanctum is another house that unshockingly actually doesn't have that many skill testing cards. It's a very straightforward, it does what it does kind of house, which is really cool. Um, I really appreciate it about Sanctum. Like you have a Sanctum list, you look at it and it tells you exactly what it's going to do. And that's what it does. Yeah. Does it have proclamation in it? It's probably a really good deck. Does it not have it in there? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's kind of high on proclamation right now. He keeps losing to it. So it's called artifact hate, Jake artifact hate just get a poltergeist and your life will be better um so the first card we have is glorious few action for each creature your opponent controls in excess of you gain one amber so again on the face of it, it seems like a simple card you draw this hopefully you're behind on board and you get a couple amber out of it i think in reality if you have a deck with this I think you kind of have to almost play with the mindset that this could come up at some point. Like, you're not going to try to intentionally keep yourself off board, but I mean, if you know that it's like in your last five cards and you have a chance to like maybe dive a couple dudes into some of their guys that you just want out of the way anyways, let them refill their board knowing that you're going to draw into this, you can set up some big amber burst turns kind of out of nowhere with this card. Yeah, 
it's I think it's pretty easy to craft a situation where this is good and also not give yourself a huge disadvantage. Uh, but, you know, just being aware of identifying those spots and being able to set up for it later in the game, if need be, is definitely an important skill that does probably, in my mind, put this ahead of most other Sanctum cards. Definitely. I have Judgment is our next one. Uh, it comes with an Amber Pip. It's an artifact. Action purge a creature from a discard pile. I don't know why I have this on the list. <laughs> so, yeah, so Sanctum, we've already said, isn't one of the most skill-testing... Well, it is one of the most skill-testing houses. I really believe it is one of the most difficult houses to play correctly, but mostly because of creatures and setting up interesting board uh, states and challenging your opponent and making it difficult for them based on what's in their deck and knowing their answers and placing your taunt creatures. But it's, you know, you can't just put a taunt creature in here and be like, this is good because of this. So anyway... Eye of Judgment is one that gives you a lot of decisions, right? They're always going to be, in general, there'll be a lot of creatures to purge uh, in picking the best one or, you know, the one that is most likely to disrupt your plan. That is a, a, a real question and, and one that is more difficult to choose optimally than other cards. So that's why I think it's on this list. Yeah, and I also think maybe I just thought it was dis just uh, purge something from the discard pile. So once you include everything, it becomes a lot more complex. I didn't, I think when I put it on the list, I didn't see the uh, creature constraint. But yeah, creature, you're still, because I mean, they're still not finished with you. They're still arise there's still regrowth yeah and they're still just naturally cycling through your deck too next up we have martyr's end martyr's end is another action card comes with an amber pip uh play destroy any number of friendly creatures gain one amber for each creature destroyed this way holy skill tester yeah so that's that's definitely tough i think you know the same themes keep coming into these over and over again but drawing cards requires a really important skill in Keyforge, and that's one that I think is very tricky to develop, and it requires you not only knowing, you know, the general consistency of your deck, but also the level of importance it is to draw a card in the house that you're currently in. So it checks that box. It also checks the box of, you know, being able to understand the board state and getting rid of only cards that aren't going to be very detrimental to you in maintaining you know control or getting back into the game i mean it also have gaining amber which you know you need to be aware of the opponent's ability to disrupt you if you're at you know seven instead of six like where do you need to get to forge a key or be safe so it has that finally it's also a huge combo potential card so it's, it's a card that requires four forethought and planning and setting up a board state in which you can take the most advantage of it uh, with destroyed effects or you know anything else in the game that is a good combo with this card you know or recursion or what have you so i mean really when you look at what is challenging in keyforge i think this card hits on almost every single box yeah, I mean, hypothetically, you're really hoping to see this towards the end of the game, and this is like your big closeout card. But when you get it early game, mid game, I mean, that's when it's really a skill tester to determine how many dudes can I sacrifice for the amber and still kind of leave myself in a good spot. Because I just, man, with AOA, board presence is way more important than what it used to be. There's just so many problem creatures that if they just are left unchecked, like a resonator, a Mars resonator that makes your keys cost 10, like if that guy just stays alive and you have to get to 30 to win the game, I mean, you're probably not winning the game if you can't get rid of him. And if you can't, if you don't have a board clear or just a board presence to kind of maintain control of some of those creatures, then yeah, life gets real rough. 
All right. Next up, we have Our Lady, the Good Vault Keeper. Oh, maybe it's not a lady. I was trying to get this right. It's just a generic knight. There we go. There have been some public criticism of podcasts <laughs> saying he when it's clearly a female character depicted. So I think neither of us pay much attention to art. So we're, we're trying to do better. <laughs> Sorry, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Vault Keeper, four power, one armor. It's a creature. Oh my goodness. Night Spirit. Your Amber cannot be stolen. So skill testing part of this card. 4-1 is pretty good, but there are a lot of five power creatures. Um, pretty much setting up the opportunity to play this next to a taunt dude, which, I mean, Sanctum has a lot of taunt dudes, so possibility. Um, but just being able to play this at a time when it's really important kind of knowing what turn you need to drop this down, not self-chaining yourself. Sometimes you're just playing it because it's a creature. But uh, I think the real skill testing part is just helping this guy, helping this guy survive. I think that's the biggest part of playing the Vault Keeper is getting it out there and having a board set up that you can actually protect it for a few turns to get those forges in where they can't uh, they can't steal your amber. They can still capture your amber, which is annoying, but it cannot be stolen. So that's kind of a big play in a Shadows Heavy meta. I don't really have anything to add there, but I do like the term self-chaining yourself because it reminds me of like ATM machine in the redundancy. I, I'm just a big fan. <laughs> All right. And last Sanctum card we have... Probably, yep, I already went past it. Sweet. Is the Whispering Reliquary. Uh, Whispering Reliquary is an artifact that I'm scrolling to find. There it is. Uh, Action. Return an artifact to its owner's hand. This card can be bonkers in the right setup. Um, I played a game the other day with Burnside, and he had a Lash of Broken Dreams and a Ritual of Balance in his deck. And both games I managed to find this uh, Whispering Reliquary first turn so i was able to drop it down and anytime he played either one of those two artifacts and the next time i'd call sanctum i could just bounce one back to his hand and just keep clogging his hand up it is so good but the skill testing part is knowing when to actually use whispering reliquary and when not to so like if you're calling sanctum just to use whispering reliquary probably not the best idea but on the turns you're going to play sanctum anyways evaluating the artifacts your opponent has out and which ones are possibly going to be the most detrimental to you is a true skill testing card yeah i agree i mean i again i don't think it's like a super super hard card to play it's super hard to identify the important card the more important artifact to return but those are decisions and then yeah how much weight do you put on calling that house just to play that use that action which is something that could probably go along with any of the artifact action cards which can be tricky in general i think to like get the most use out of it you kind of got to understand what's probably in their hand too what are they most likely to call the next turn so that way you can get rid of that artifact different stuff that that's a good point setting up when you're going to call sanctum so if they have a lash of broken dreams maybe you have like three sanctum cards and three other house cards in hand and you're not going to be in check this turn but you know you can get to check next turn so you want to call sanctum the following turn in order to whispering reliquary their lash back to their hand so you can forge your key for six so i think there's just there's a lot of foresight and just kind of planning when you're using Whispering Reliquary. I think that is a fair judgment. All right. That is it for Sanctum. Everything else is pretty much, it does what it does. It's good old reliables. And so that brings us to Shadows. The sneakiest house. Oh, yeah, my favorite Coda house. But so far in AOA, I've not... Uh, not loving it. I, I have not been sad playing decks that do not contain shadows. And like the two decks, 
one of the decks I'm playing, like my, yeah, my degenerate combo Martian generosity deck is just an absolute blast. And I don't even realize that shadows isn't in there. There's this, uh, last night at the tournament, there's this guy, Bobby, who's like a character here in St. Louis. He's a great guy, good player too. Um, but anyway, he was sitting next to me and is a, you know, we're playing archons or swapping deck deck lists. And he looks at his, the archon side with the picture of, his opponent's card he's like "Ooh, like dis shadows untamed like you know that's a scary house is this like uh, coda or aoa and the guy's like aoa he's like oh like oh never mind like shadows <laughs> untamed sucks now <laughs> but that was pretty funny but I, I honestly i hadn't really heard i mean i know people are like disappointed i guess in shadows but i hadn't really heard it expressed so plainly like shadows sucks in aoa uh, it doesn't suck in AOA. I mean, I don't think it sucks either, but I just think it's... It's not as consistently strong as it used to be. It's definitely interesting that people hold that opinion, though. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think the Untamed is what really drug that list down, right? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so getting, getting into our skill testing cards, the first two that I grouped together are Swindle. It is an alpha. It is an omega. It is a play and steal three action card. This is your entire turn. This is all you are doing. And I am, man, I still keep going back and forth. But man, when this is played against you, it feels so bad. And if it's discarded against you, I mean, you feel good that they discarded it. But usually they didn't need it at that point. But I think I've had a few games where late game swindle or even mid game. I'm about to get my second key. They've already forged their second key. They're at like two and all of a sudden they swindle and they're up to five. And I'm down to like one again. Like that is such a huge swing in the game that it's rough i yeah i don't know i mean i definitely agree this is a really hard card to identify when it's right to play and when it's right to discard um very similarly to key charge i think i've made that comparison in the past like there are moments you know at the end of the game where it's like oh good like i can play this to get on to check on my third key and take them off it so that's perfect i'm gonna play it now but i think anytime you get it in the early to mid game it's rare that it's right to play it unless you already have like a dominant board position or something along those lines in which case it still might be better just to use that to reap and you know and play some other cards to keep cycling through your deck um and i just think you know a lot of times you know it's a lot of times it's right to get down one or two keys if it means setting up your game for later where you know you can come back and win um yeah i was down two keys to zero last night and you know but it was definitely the right play to play my fuzzy gruen to give him his sixth amber to get to that second key um because i was going to be getting board control that was going to be helping throughout the remainder of the game and i think a lot of times swindle is is something that seems good but in reality is just giving so much momentum in terms of like board control to your opponent that is really going to come back to bite you so i mean i personally don't think this is like a great card for those reasons i think it's actually pretty bad in general it's never one i'm excited to see in a list um but you know a lot of people think this card is great which in and of itself probably tells you that it's hard to use it is a classic skill testing card because yeah when it's when it's right to use it and you use it it's so right like i said i haven't had as much experience playing it i've only played a couple of decks with it and uh but yeah i've played against it and anytime they swindle you or they're just like swindling 
swindle, you're like, well, I'm kind of glad they swindled, but at the same time, oof, I was at like seven, I thought I was going to get there, or I was at eight, I thought I was going to get there, and now all of a sudden they're knocking on the door or in check off of that play, and it's pretty rough. Also, I had experiences playing against it where my opponent swindles me, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, like I'm definitely going to win because like they've just left the door wide open for me to just do everything I want to do now. Sure, that's the skill testing nature. Like, There's definitely wrong right. times to play it, so yep, very skill testing card. And then the other card that kind of groups in with that one is Treasure Map. So Treasure Map comes in with an Amber Pip. It's an action card that says play. If you've not played any other cards this turn, gain three Amber. The remainder of the turn, you cannot play cards. So this one's kind of in the same vein as Swindle. If you play it first, you can't play any other cards. You can still use your board, though, which is really nice with Treasure Map. So if you have an established Shadows board and you draw this, like you can slam this for four and still use your Shadows creature, Shadows artifacts, and still have a pretty complete turn while also getting a bonus four amber shot for just playing one card um you can still discard cards too after it so if you had other shadow cards in hand you can just pitch those if you didn't want to play them anyways and yeah there's a lot of flexibility or if the situation's not right you can play it at the end of your turn and um just get the amber pip off of it so just knowing when to fire it off as your only card for the turn is pretty skill testing knowing when you should do that or you should just play it for the single amber at the end of your turn after you've played your other shadows cards i yeah i agree i mean i think similarly to what i've already said on swindle i won't rehash it but a lot of times playing it for one the one card feels so right but is actually very wrong so i think you know it has that sort of like it's one of those cards where you could be walking into a trap when you play it uh so those are always going to be a big challenge to get right all right next up on our list action card tmtp (laughs) too much to protect uh so play steal all but six of your opponent's amber this card is so interesting like again it's another card that seems pretty straightforward but i think the skill part of it really comes in with trying to set up your opponent to have having more than six so like things i like to do is oftentimes you know dis and shadows play well together so you charrette some of their amber and you just capture amber you get them to like five or you lash them to make them go to nine to try to forge and then when they finally get up to that big amber total then you smash them with too much to protect i mean this is obviously stating that you're not chaining yourself and playing shadows during the middle of this and holding on to this card but you're just you're playing your other houses to set up a point where they have to go above six in order to make this card work really pay off otherwise it's an amber which is fine right yeah i think that's where i come down on it it's like this card is either the best card in your deck or it's an amber depending on when you draw it and how you've set up for it so I mean, it's a card that if you know you have a copy in your deck, you're sort of always playing with that in the back of your mind. Like, can I get a situation where I could steal like two or three Ambrics? Those are often game winning plays. So because of the ability to like, it's one of of just very few cards that can take somebody off of, you know, 20 Amber if they just mass a lot. So just even having one in your deck sort of maybe changes the way your opponent is forced to play. You know, if you get it early and you just play it for the amber then all of a sudden your opponent has like a license to sort of do what they want if if that's the only copy in your deck of course uh so yeah so i mean uh, it's a card that like uh, you really want to prioritize archiving if you can maybe even you know if you've got like a hidden stash generally you don't want to archive a card of the same active house but you probably want to consider it with too much to protect uh just to keep that information hidden from your opponent uh yeah so it's just it's just really tough yeah and you have to know what's in your deck too or like do you have the ability to force your opponent to go way above to know that it's worth chaining yourself or do they have the 
when looking at your opponent's deck list before the game, knowing if they have the ability to like burst into like 12 or 13 Amber in a turn if, if you don't have this to kind of keep them in check. Yep. So yeah, definitely skill testing. It's pretty straightforward, but at the same time, just knowing when it's going to be really good and when you just need to like get rid of it and move on with your life is a pretty pretty big skill tester. All right. All right. Next, we have Brend the Fanatic. We have another creature. Your Is friend. A... <laughs> Your friend. My Brend. friend. It's Brand. <laughs> uh, three power, no armor, skirmish. So that's going to come into play here. So it's play. Your opponent gains one amber. Destroyed. Steal three amber. So now my favorite AOA list looking game is, does this list have Brand? If so, how do I kill my own Brand? <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say like this one isn't that skill testing either. I mean, even if you don't have a way to kill it, like it's still fine to play. Like your opponent gets one amber, whatever, and now you have a creature that they virtually never want to kill that you'll be able to reap with or fight with every time you call shadows. If you have a way to capture amber onto it, that's even better. That you know guarantees the steal more or less. Um, so even if you can't kill it, there's lots of ways to take advantage of it, even if it's just playing it early and using it a lot, and then it still may die naturally to an opponent's board clear or board effect or whatever. So I don't know how, how hard it really is to play. But yeah, it's so you still gotta consider the amber you're giving up. Maybe it's not as hard. I don't know. Maybe my skill testing part is just that I'm always trying to kill it myself and then kill it at a time when it's okay to do so. I had an opponent one time play brand when i only had one amber so i just immediately killed it and i was like <laughs> he gave me the amber and i just gave it back to him i'm like i'd rather have your brand dead <laughs> you can just have this amber back that you gave to me you can keep that so i mean like playing it when there's you know actual chance for stealing not allowing your opponent to do that where if you're at zero and they played brand and you're able to just you know dodge the steal so just making sure that yeah it's gonna it's gonna affect your opponent in a bad yeah. way all right, so our next two we have are pretty much kind of similar, Evasion Sigil and Speed Sigil. So Evasion Sigil is a Shadows artifact, comes with an Amber Pip. Before a creature fights, discard the top card of its controller's deck. The discarded card is of the active house, exhaust that creature with no effect. So this can this card can do some work. Like if you're playing against a combo deck, like that combo deck is now so afraid of swinging because they don't want to lose a piece of their combo to just the random discard. So yeah. good for that. It's so good for just protecting. So like I've got a deck with Evasion Sigil and like two Witch of the Eyes. It makes it really hard now for my opponent to reliably swing and take those Witch of the Eyes off the board because of the Evasion Sigil. But the skill testing part is... Um, just knowing when to play it, if you're like behind on board and you need to fight to kind of square things up, or your deck just doesn't really have things that you want to protect, maybe this evasion sigil actually helps your opponent because it just makes it harder for you to interact with their board. Yeah, I mean, any universal effect is going to have the same thing, like, uh, like we talked about in the last podcast, where it requires good knowledge of your list and good knowledge of your opponent's list to know whether it's going to be right or wrong based on who is going to help more. And of course that could change based on the situation on board. Um, but yeah, so, so it's got that going for it. This one has like the extra skill testing thing where a lot of times it's like a lot easier to see who's going to be benefiting more from the next card. We're going to talk about speed sigil, whereas evasion sigil, it's a little bit more tricky. Like, you know, you can't just look at a deck and be like, well, you know, this deck has a lot of good reap effects, so obviously Speed Sigil is going to help it a lot. It's, it's a little bit more nuanced on 
who this is going to help. Are you needing to attack? Are they needing to attack to win? Are there pieces you're trying to protect of your board or they would want to protect from their board? And, you know, who's going to be more power on the board in general, like so on and so forth are all things you would need to consider here um, for Evasion Sigil. Yep. No, definitely a skill tester. And then again, too, like just knowing when you're fighting, kind of knowing the makeup of your deck and knowing whether or not you might discard one that'll exhaust your creature is kind of like the second skill testing point. So if it's already out there, call shadows, but you know that like eight of your 12 shadows cards are either on the table or in the discard, you know that you're probably pretty safe as long as your deck's still kind of full. You're probably not going to hit one of those last four cards, so it's a little bit safer to fight. And that just kind of adds that extra layer of uh, difficulty to the card, knowing when and when fighting's not going to work also seeing more cards is always going to help the better player and it almost doesn't really matter whether those are cards in hand or cards in your discard pile because that's still going to give you important information about your deck yep so then we kind of briefly mentioned it but speed sigil another shadows artifact that gives you an amber first creature played each turn enters play ready so this one i mean typically you see in most speed sigil decks They have a lot of very cool reap effect creatures, so that way you can set up turns where you play a Witch of the Eye right away and immediately get a reap with Witch of the Eye and return something from your discard, or just different fight abilities that can happen. Um, Yeah, this card just unlocks so many cool first turn, like first creature plays, and just kind of changes the way both you and your opponent have to play the game. Yeah, it's like my favorite card when it's played. I don't even care who played it. It's funny too, because it's like, it's definitely the card that I'm happiest to see my opponent play. It's just like, they play that, you're like, sweet, let's go. This game is going to be super fun now, which is probably not a hallmark of like a super powerful card. Okay, this this might shock you, Jake. Guess what? Yeah. This card has a 56.7% win rate, which is like insane. Most cards are hovering around 50. And this is based on chain bound events. Like that is not insane. against me. jake's part of the 44 percent, the 43.3 i don't have any speed sigil decks but i feel like whatever maybe i'm maybe i've just gotten lucky but i feel like usually when somebody plays this against me it's been to their detriment sure but yeah that does surprise me no it's got a very high win rate it just it makes a fast deck even faster like that's the insane thing like if you like a lot of times these speed sigil decks are found with a bunch of other speedy creatures like i've got one with untamed and it just ratchets up the speed of the deck when you're reaping with a creature each turn two that you're playing or just getting any of the, like the big effects that you need like that one has a moon cursor moon cursor normally is pretty meh but when you can drop a moon cursor and fight steal kill one of their dudes off the board the turn you play it it's real good it's a skill tester because you've got to know that your deck is going to get more advantage out of it than your opponent if you're gonna play it all right next we're doing a creature again can you believe it Woo! another creature has made the list we have magda the rat so magda the rat is a four powered shadows creature magda the rat so it's an elf thief four power elusive play steal two amber leaves play your opponent steals two amber I feel like I feel like this card's a big skill tester. You've got to know when to play it. It's it's a nice swing. So if your opponent's on like seven or eight and you can too much to protect and to Magda the Rat them to pull them back off a check, that is a sweet play. But the skill testing part is really trying to protect that Magda. Like the elusive helps. 
but she's still fairly easy to remove. So you need something like a shadow self sitting next to her, a taunt creature, just something that will keep her around long enough that you get to use their two amber before they just beat her off the table and take their two amber back. Yeah, which is even fine in, in many situations if you're just stalling them for a turn with it. So, you know, it's it's a card where it, it's pretty flexible um, with a really high upside. So, you know, just because you don't have the perfect situation doesn't mean you're not going to play it. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically, you're never playing it with your opponent less than two, though. Don't do that. <laughs> Unless you're really next level. <laughs> I don't even know what you're... There are times when you would do it for one. For one, when they're going to steal two back from you? You're going to take a net loss playing a Magda when they're at one Amber? I don't know. Create a situation. I, I'm sure I would probably try to do it. I probably would do it. <laughs> Seems very bad to me. Uh, yeah, I was bouncing my opponent's shuler last night i don't even care man just come at me <laughs> all right jake went three and one all right let's go all right uh so magda yeah creature make sure you can kind of protect it as needed yeah moving on rigged lottery action card comes with an amber pit play each player discards the top five cards of their deck for each shadows card discarded its owner gains one amber so skill testing card uh pretty straightforward if your opponent also has shadows, that's where the that's where it gets skill testing. Knowing how many shadows cards your opponent has, or setting up a situation. I had an opponent just yesterday, Doctor Sheep, played this against me while he was holding too much to protect, and I was in check. So it was brilliant. Like he only hit me for one, but that was one extra card that he got, or one extra amber he got to steal off the too much to protect. So he saw a line, he took advantage of it. It was really good there. Rigged Lottery, if your opponent doesn't have shadows, not quite as skill testing unless you're actually looking for one of your shadows answer cards. Then it can be fairly skill testing whether you play it and discard five cards or you just pitch it to ensure that you can still draw one of those answer cards you need. It also rewards knowledge of your deck and, and you know the likelihood you're about to draw that. I mean, there, there are ways I guess you could combo with it. I'm not sure if that's really worth it, but using like I'm not finished with you or, or some of the other recursion cards we're about to get into in Untamed, I guess. Um, there, are, there are ways you could potentially think ahead and, and set up a rigged lottery if you had it in the archives or something. So it does have that sort of extra little bit of uh, card that rewards setup in, in some decks. Yep, and a really quick clear mind. If your deck has less than five cards in it and you play this, you're only going to discard the top however many cards. So if you have three cards in deck, you're only discarding three, same for your opponent. You don't reshuffle and then discard two more cards. Like you're just done as of the three. I think we could also do a slash fair game in with this because a lot of the same things are true. Oh, fair game is each each player discards the top card of their deck and then reveal their hand. And you get one, each opponent gets one amber for each card that was revealed to the same house of the discarded card. Yes. So I think that functions very similarly. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Well, and for the clear mind aspect of it, if you had no cards in your deck and played <laughs> fair game, that would be an excellent time to do that. Yeah, it'd be so fair because you wouldn't actually discard anything, so you're at no risk. You still have to reveal your hand, but yeah, super good. All right, last Shadows card. We have another artifact. It is the Sting. Artifact, Shadows, comes in with an Amber Pip. Skip your Forge a Key step. You get all Amber spent by your opponent when forging keys. Action, sacrifice the Sting. This card is such a skill tester. Um, I mean, unless your deck has a bunch of key cheats where you can just forge outside of the forge a key step, 
it's always a tough decision when you have this card. I've found myself mostly discarding this card recently in one of my decks. Like it just doesn't ever feel like there's only very limited situations where it's like, oh, they're about to forge anyways. And I can just burst into six, dam six amber here if I do this, then it seems worth it. But otherwise, like... Ah, oh, so hard to tell when you when you should actually throw this one down. Yeah, I was watching a casual game last night uh, between Duncan and, and this guy Josh, who's a very one of the really good players here. Duncan had the sting. Josh was just building a massive board staying at five amber. And so Duncan had amassed like 20 something amber. But because Josh was already one key ahead, he just never chose to get any more amber until Duncan had to sacrifice the sting so it's sort of like he, he essentially locked him out of the game unless he you know sacrificed this because he's just going to lose on tie breaks or whatever interesting it's a weird way to do it i think you'd get rid of the sting a lot earlier so yeah skill testing make sure your skills are adequate for the test of the sting otherwise you will feel the sting of defeat wow that was really good for all your uh voiceover needs you can reach him <laughs> at dan is someone on twitter and uh yeah, you know, just shoot him a DM. Yep, always, always there for the uh, the voiceover work. Time to close it out. Untamed, the worst AOA house and the averagest COTA house. Average? Oh man, it was so good in COTA. Koto was amazing. All the burst, all the burst. I like me some untamed, some regrowth, some dust pixies, some trips hunting witches. Let's go speed this game up. All right. Skill testing cards from Untamed. The first one we have is Glimmer. Glimmer is a one power creature. It's a fairy. It is an alpha card, so you have to play it first. And it says, play, return a card from your discard pile to your hand. So this is just kind of going along with some of our other cards, like the Pent Seed is also on the list. That's an artifact that you sack and return a card from your discard to your hand. Just making that decision and choosing the right card. Yeah, you could probably throw regrowth in there as well in the same category. Sure. So I mean typically you're gonna want to return an untamed card that you can play right away, but some like that's gonna be the majority of the time. Because just the value of returning a card and replaying it right away is really good. Um Glimmer, Nature's Call, Soft Lock is kinda of fun. If you have some other untamed creatures out and you can just kinda of keep your opponent off the board, it's kind of a fun little combo to get into. But uh yeah, just anytime you're going through your discard and trying to figure out which which card is the correct card to return, why, and just really understanding your board, the situation, what your opponent may do. Yeah, it's just super skill testing. Like, you can pick the wrong card. Like, <laughs> there are wrong answers when you go into your discard pile. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to add, but just knowing when to buck the, I guess, standard way of thinking of taking an untamed card for that immediate efficiency and taking something else that you really are going to need that that can be challenging yep all right next one i have up is lost in the woods love 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 this card there's a coda card that has an amber pip it's an action play choose two friendly creatures and two enemy creatures shuffle each chosen creature into its owner's deck i don't know like the decision the decision tree here if you've got a full board they have a full board of making the right decision about what creatures to shuffle away is so huge knowing how many cards they have left in decks and knowing how likely they are to redraw into it um if their creature had like a play effect like lost in the wizarding those guys are usually not awesome unless their deck's still quite full so like if they have a charrette out and they have like 20 cards in deck then it's probably pretty safe to throw a charrette back in but if they have like five cards left and you lost in the woods a charrette to try to sneak in a key 
odds are it's probably not gonna work out well for you but then like creatures creatures of your own like i've always loved to lost in the woods my shulers i have a deck with shulers and lost in the woods and that feels really good getting to replay shuler a few turns later and get that steal again any of the capture dudes feel really good charrette those kinds of things um dust pixies lost in the woods in a ducks dust pixie feels really good so just kind of identifying the creatures that won't hurt you so like the downside of having to do your own two friendly creatures or just playing this before you have two friendly creatures is also kind of a a nice little bonus i kind of think nature's call which is just return three cards to their opponent's hand might be a little bit more skill testing uh just because it has less of that sort of timing element of returning you know getting something back into the deck how quickly it'll come back in but it really rewards you returning card creatures to your opponent's hand that you think they maybe don't already have a lot of to sort of really mess up their essentially give them chains if you, if you give them two different creatures especially two different creatures that they don't want to play right away uh and then that also has the added bonus of uh working really well with your own play effect so i think there's there's a lot of intricacy there in picking the right creatures with that one as well so i, I would like to lump that in with lost of the woods yep i mean technically lost in the woods gets rid of four creatures and nature's call does three but nature's call is completely up to you on the balance of who's getting returned so if you just want to bounce three of their dudes you can just bounce three of their dudes or one of yours two of theirs two of yours one of theirs that kind of thing but yeah nature's call definitely big skill tester on what should be returned all right next up after nature's call we have mimicry mimicry is a untamed action card when you play this card treat it as a copy of an action card in your opponent's discard pile again super skill testing card you have to know what your opponent like before the game you're kind of like if you have a mimicry deck you're kind of looking through your opponent's list and kind of asking yourself like what actions of theirs really would help me what actions do i really want this card to hit and then your opponent also has to know that if you have mimicry Um, what cards they may have to be leery about playing in case you do have Mimicry in hand. It sets up a really kind of interesting back and forth trying to figure out when to fire off the Mimicry and what what the target should be. And again, if you're across the table from it, should you put that card in your discard, use it on your side, knowing that they're probably going to use it against you later? Yeah, I think definitely one of the most challenging just because of all the different options that you're usually afforded. So, you know, not only do you have to pick the right card, but then you have to play it in the optimal way. Because a lot of the times these best actions, as we go back through these lists, there's a lot of really powerful cards on here, aren't always the most straightforward, especially if it's a card you're less familiar with. Um, It can be really tough. I I had a really sweet Mimicry play last night that I just want to share. So I'm going to because it's my podcast, so I can do it. (laughs) Oh, it's your podcast. It's not our podcast. I see how this is. It's our podcast, so we can do whatever we want. Okay, that sounds better. You may go then. Uh, So I I play, my opponent had like five creatures out, and I played Full Moon, Dust Pixie, gaining three Amber, Nature's Call, returning only my Dust Pixie, playing it again, gaining three Amber, Mimicry, his hysteria returning all creatures to opponent's <laughs> hand dust 60 for you know a total of nine amber and clearing his entire board it was pretty nice. pretty sweet very nice so there you go nature's call dust pixie mimicry wow way to, way to wrap that all up in a nice little bow there jake well done all right uh next one in second to last one i'm going to skip the last one that one's not that skill testing we're just gonna forget that heart of the forest an artifact comes in with an amber 
Each player cannot forge keys while they have more forged keys than their opponent. The new boogeyman. I have, I had at one time about five of these decks. I think I'm down to three again, maybe two. I don't know. This card is so hard to figure out. If you have key cheats, I mean, it's great. But if they have artifact destruction, you can play towards your key cheat to two key forge turn and they can just remove it and win it's so tough to figure out and like if you're ahead and you might just win a natural game like deciding whether you should play it or not is a big decision if you're already up one key to nothing and you have this card in hand you seem like you're gonna stay kind of in the lead like pitching it there might be the best call i don't know this this card is gonna take people a lot of plays to really figure out when to drop it when not to drop it heart of the forest Yep, I have yet to play with or against this card, so I'm just going to not <laughs> act like I know something, which I do not. Sure. Like, I played two games last night with probably a deck that I had that I sold to Blake from Hilt from Future Self. We played a couple games last night, and he wanted me to play it against him and tried to glean some knowledge from how I played it, but I hadn't played it that much either, and um, his Gorm of Ulm turned out to just be the way to beat Heart of the Forest. <laughs> he had Artifact Destruction. I did not. So uh, yeah, he would just get ahead, destroy Heart of the Forest, and there wasn't much I could do about it. That So that's Blake from Help from Future Self, the podcast. So you guys should all check that out if you haven't yet and give them a listen. Great people, great cast. Yeah, much more condensed than we are. 30 minutes, three segments, bam. I will say, uh, usually when I look at a card, I can pretty much tell if it's you know how to use it if it's going to be good if it's not in what situations i would and with heart of the forest is another one that yeah i really feel like you have to i have to play with it before i can give any kind of good you know credible thoughts on it just very complex yeah i probably have about 20 games played with different heart of the forest decks and it's still every time it's in my hand i'm like ah do i play this like is this the right time or should i just discard this because i'm actually a little bit ahead right now i mean when you're behind it feels really good playing because you're just like well we're just gonna put pump the brakes on this game for a second so when you're behind it always pretty much feels good if you're down like a key or even if i mean if you're down two keys it would be like the best feeling in the world but (laughs) when you're like kind of even up with your opponent or maybe you're like slightly ahead and you're like well crap if i play this am i gonna be stuck on two keys while they're at one and allow them to like come back so yeah yeah, definitely a card that needs to be played a lot to really understand when it is good to be played all right last card we made it we made it you made it listener you did it yeah thanks for bearing with us for two weeks so punctuated equilibrium play action card each player discards their hand then refills their hand as if it were the end of their turn yeah this card is sweet like this is a fun card i still don't have any decks with it yet neither do i i'm so sad this is like definitely one that i want actively want to seek out though because it just looks so much fun yeah so i mean it's just cool if you've played a bunch of untamed cards then you discard the rest of your hand like this is the last untamed card you play you discard your hand draw six new cards and maybe find some more untamed cards and really just like plow through your deck it's such a cool play if you've noticed that your opponent has been carefully crafting playing out of two houses they probably got a handful of their third house and you're able to call untamed and just rip their hand apart and put them back to like a nice like two 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 hand or something you know it feels so good um if your opponent martian generosities you and you can play this right after they do that so they have to take their 12 cards and pitch them to discard and draw back to six also not a bad feeling no that feels pretty cool yeah <laughs> so obviously that martian generosity is the obvious play and i think punctuated 
Equilibrium is a card that you will virtually always want to play if you're playing an untamed turn. So the skill comes in to identify when you want to take that untamed turn. I mean, that's that's a little bit of a nuanced thing. A lot of times it won't matter if you have just like four untamed cards. Pretty well going to play that for the efficiency of it. But if it is maybe you only have two cards, you have punch weight equilibrium and one other thing, and you know that your opponent hasn't played shadows for four turns, you know, you can use that knowledge of the game state and the likely cards in your opponent's hand to make that call. Also keeping in mind that if you don't have any untamed cards, maybe you haven't seen very many, you're likely to draw into a pretty solid string of them to make that an efficient and good turn. Yep, definitely. Now, knowledge of what could potentially be in your opponent's hand is huge with this one and what you could be potentially drawing into. And the other fun play, I man, I just want to live the dream where you get like a good double full moon punctuated equilibrium with like four or five creatures. Like I want that deck. There are double punctuated <laughs> equilibrium decks, which is crazy. Oh my goodness. That would be insane too. All right. I want one of those too. <laughs> <sighs> but no, those are the cards we identified thus far as skill testing cards. Like I said, we this took two episodes to get through. So there's probably cards out there that are also skill testing that we did not discuss. But yeah, those are the ones we identified and talked about. So hope you liked it. Thank you so much for bearing with us and listening. Uh, We really appreciate you supporting this show. Uh, Please tell a friend. Uh, Don't just tell them about us. Tell them about all the other great Keyforge podcasts out there, uh, like Keyfor and Help from Future Self. Actually, I don't want to. Keyshed. Keyshed. Bouncing Death Guard. There's there's a lot. I apologize if I'm not listening to all, but just search for Keyforge. Give these people a listen. They're spending a lot of time and energy making great content. And then tell people about Keyforge. Uh, this game yes. isn't going anywhere. It's great. It's still super fun to get out and play these events. So, you know, get out there into your community and have a fun time with this great game. Indeed. Grow those communities. Let's get those archon chain bounds firing everywhere and firing with like 10 plus everywhere because that would be amazing my name is jake friedman you can find me on twitter at jake freed that's j-a-k-e-f-r-y-d i am also on twitch on jake at jake freed as well uh so come hang out with me there sometime hopefully i'll be getting back into a more active habit of streaming soon um yeah dan over to you Sweet. Yeah, I'm Dan is someone, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E and the number one that's on Twitch and Twitter. Twitch has actually been semi-active here lately. We've even put out a couple of YouTube videos. We did a rewind where I played my Trips Ronnie, Trips Exhumed deck against Blake from Help from Future Self. And then he and Alex from our Discord hopped into voice chat with one star peeps, five star people, five star games, one star peeps, five star games. <laughs> You're never going to get that. I never get his right because it's, yeah. One Star Squire from the Discord also jumped into the Twitch channel and just kind of helped evaluate my plays and find out where I went wrong. And so that's all up on YouTube. And yeah, so I've actually been putting out, cranking out some content lately, a lot of tabletop simulator content. So if you're interested in what tabletop simulator looks like, check it out. Archons of the Crucible, the Adaptive League is here. Finally, enter the Crucible or the tabletop simulator at your discretion. There are no losers, there are only players. And remember, forge those keys.